My name is Kylie. I'm part of the team here at One Heart. It's great to have you here today. We actually have a special guest with us today, Nathan Kaladari from Hope Church. Give him a round of applause. Who is a special guest speaker at Youth Tonight. So it's great um, that he's able to come over and minister to our youth group tonight. Our senior pastors, Pastor Rob and Pauline Santos-Fano, are ministering out at Kimber Church today. Um, and then they'll be staying for the board meeting afterwards. Pastor Rob, as the vice president on the state exec for the ACC Church, will be um, attending their board meetings as the in-between pastors. They don't have a pastor at the moment. I know many of you have been in a church where you don't have a pastor at that time, and um, you know it's a difficult time for a church. So keep Kimber uh, ACC Church in your prayers, and uh, Rob and Paulina are up there today. So... If you've been part of One Heart at all, for any length of time, uh, you would have heard us talking about one word in particular, and that word is supernatural this year. Uh, Yell it out if you've heard us speak about that word this year, supernatural. You've heard it quite a few. We keep going on about it, don't we? Um, And this month, we've been particularly considering and feeling like the Lord wants us to think again on supernatural miracles, on signs and wonders. It says, well, as Bernard was sharing as well, it says in the scripture that the signs and wonders would follow those early Christians. And, uh, you know, they would pray for people who were strangers. And those people didn't know Jesus, didn't have a faith in Jesus. And miracles would happen and those people would get healed. And we believe that God is inviting us as believers in Jesus to live a life like that where we encounter the supernatural just in our ordinary everydayness, like on those days that are so ordinary, when your eyebrow makeup goes like way too far, too much, but it's too late to wash it off. Or really ordinary, well, like one time I was yelling at my kids and my husband was standing beside me, I thought on my side, and then he goes, right, that's it, time out. And I'm looking at them like, yeah, that's it, time out. And then everyone was looking at me and he goes, no, I mean you. Mars will put me in a timeout. That's how ordinary our supernatural God wants to come into our ordinary everyday lives uh, and bring his sacredness, his supernatural and his intervention in. So before I get into the message that I want to share with you today, and I'm so excited to get into today, I'm going to ask you to do a quick self-evaluation. I'm going to ask you to think of where you stand on the scale of 1 to 10, And then I'm going to get you to tell your neighbor. So how do you currently feel thinking your skill level and your confidence level on a scale of 1 to 10 of being able to just go to a non-Christian, they're sharing with you their stuff in their life, and you're able to say, I can pray for you. Can I pray for you? One being, I don't even pray out loud in my own room when no one else is there. Ten being, yes, I'm so skilled, I'm so confident, I'm awesome as at praying for people. Pick your number, one to ten. How confident or how skilled are you? Tell the person beside you. You go, Sneaker. Okay, there's a general murmur 
But I could see and lip read that some of those numbers were under five, for instance. And that's why I want to talk about this today, that uh, we're able to just get really simple and really practical and make this whole concept so easy and clear that by the end of today, by the end of this morning, you're able to leave this place and feel confident and skilled and know exactly what to do and what to say to be able to pray for people, even if they're a stranger, even if they're not a Christian. In fact, you'll be eager to, if you take on board what I'm about to say, you'll be so eager, especially for that first one, just to get them done and dusted and out of the way, because I'm going to ask you to pray this week, every single day, including today, why wait until tomorrow, today's the day, for someone else, out loud. And you're going to want to do it, especially the first one. You're going to be keen as, you might even pick someone in the morning tea time. You you don't look like you believe me, but you're going to be keen. (laughs) Sound good? Because we believe in Jesus of the empty tomb. We believe that Jesus done miracles. Come on, give him a clap if you believe that Jesus will do miracles. (laughs) Me too. That's not always the question. The real tricky question is, do I believe that Jesus will do miracles through me? That's the tricky question that I want to convince you of today. So we're going to read, first of all, from the Bible. um, And this is from the Message Bible, just for a bit of fun. Um, I'm going to read from John chapter 11, uh, but not every single verse. So uh, just the verses that are to do with Lazarus and Jesus Jesus is going to do this incredible miracle, and I'll sort of uh, stop and, and see what we can learn out of Jesus doing this miracle. So verse number one, chapter 11, a man was sick. Wow, see how relevant the Bible is, right? Wave your hand if you know someone who's sick at the moment. Flu season in South Australia, most of us know someone who's sick, or you can go out there. I went, if you go look at the chemist, there are, there are men who are sick. I was at the chemist yesterday. A man took like 20 minutes asking about all different cough syrups. I was like, dude, just pick any of them. It doesn't matter. Um, not that I judged him, but I was thinking like, man, flu. Uh, <coughs> a man was sick. Lazarus, Lazarus of Bethany. That's the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was their brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent word to Jesus Master, the one you love so very much is sick. And when Jesus heard this message, he said, the sickness is not fatal. And it will become an occasion to show God's glory by glorifying God's son. Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. But oddly, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed right where he was for two more days. And after two days, he said to his disciples, let's go. He announced, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to wake him. And the disciples were like, Master, it doesn't say like, the disciples said, Master, if he's gone to sleep, he'll get a good rest and he'll wake up fine. Jesus was talking about death. And the disciples thought he was talking about having a nap. So Jesus became explicit. Lazarus has died. And I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there because you're about to have new grounds for believing. Now let's go to him. 
So they traveled to that town and it was they're already having the funeral. Lazarus has been dead for four days when Jesus turns up at the funeral. It says, Mary, verse 32, Mary came to Jesus and fell at his feet and said, Master, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her sobbing and all the Jews with her sobbing, an anger, a deep anger, troubled, welled up within him. And he said, where have you put him? Master, come and see, they said. And now Jesus wept. And the Jews said, look how deeply he loved him. But some of them said, if he loved him so much, why didn't he heal him? After all, he healed a blind guy. And then Jesus, this troubled anger, again welling up in him, arrived at the tomb. It was a simple cave. And Jesus said, remove the stone. And they removed the stone. And Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and prayed, Father, I'm grateful that you hear me. I know that you always hear me. But I say this out loud for all the people around, for their benefit. And then he shouted, Lazarus, come out. And then he came out. And he was wrapped in the burial cloth and Jesus said, untie him. So what we see in this incredible event, which as Ben was saying, we probably have heard many times before if you've been a Christian for any length of time, is Jesus raises this guy from the dead. But if we put ourselves in Mary and Martha's point of view, he's many days late, isn't he? From anyone's point of view, if the dude's been entombed for four days already, it is too late. We see death as really the end of the road. For four days they've gone, well, Jesus was too late. He didn't do my miracle. That was obviously a no. It's done and dusted. There's no other hope now. The door's closed. The tomb is closed. It's over. I missed my miracle. Why didn't Jesus come through? But Jesus is showing us that even death is no barrier for him. Whatever seems that like the end of the road that you might be going through, it is not the end of the road in God's kingdom. He's able to move through that and pass that for greater faith and for greater trust and for greater love. No matter how bleak it seems, even if it seems it's all over, keep believing in Jesus, keep hoping in Jesus because he's got plans to take you all the way out of the other side, even of death. And I'm sure that obviously Mary and Martha and all their friends would have preferred if Jesus offered to have him come earlier rather than later. Even after the fact, in retrospect, they would have been like, it still would have been better if you came and healed him beforehand. It was a horrible four days of grieving. I wish you'd still come beforehand. We much prefer that. But uh, Jesus didn't come to, you know, his mission wasn't to come and heal fevers and heal illnesses. Jesus' mission is to come and heal death altogether, to heal our whole universe, to heal every soul completely and our whole bodies completely and and completely renew the entire cosmos, all that is seen and unseen. And that's why he came. So when we see it's the end of the road, we can have these questions. And I know when I've seen miracles in my life, like One time I was at a pool party with the youth group, all these teenagers splashing around everywhere, and it was night time, and then one person's like, stop, I've lost my contact lens. (laughs) Teenagers everywhere splashing, it's night time, a contact lens is clear, it's invisible, 
And we were a very spiritual youth group, and someone's like, let's pray. And even I was thinking, fat chance. (laughs) And we prayed, or somebody with more faith prayed. And everyone started looking. I pretended to. I I pretended to. And within about a minute, I'm not kidding, someone goes, I found it in the pool. A contact lens. Nothing is impossible for God. It's ridiculous. But that same God, I prayed for my friend Matt, Matt Slykerman, who was my mentor. He discipled me and introduced me to Jesus. He had cancer when I met him, and we prayed for him all the time, and he was a crazy evangelist and totally sold out for Jesus, and everyone was praying for him to be miraculously healed, and so was he. And yet, he died of cancer. Not really nicely. And we sort of look at it and go, what are we meant to do with this God who will help someone find a contact lens? And yet, my friend Matt passed away. And in this story of Lazarus, we're saying Jesus is showing us, you know, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. And he has a mission. But like we were singing this morning, he is good and he can only do good things. And sometimes it seems like the answer is a no, but really it's a not yet, or a yes, but it's not going to look the way you think it will. And so that's what I want to encourage you today, to keep praying for miracles anyway, and we're going to see them one day, and it might not be exactly how we imagine or anything like we imagine, but he is still the God of the miraculous because he is always good. And you saw in that story, Jesus came to the funeral late, And Mary and Martha went to him because they did not have a contradiction in their understanding that whether Jesus loved them was dependent on that miracle being done. We do in our Western society. It just comes up all the time. It's such a sticking point, isn't it? Uh, If I don't get my miracle, what does that mean? Doesn't he love me? Doesn't he hear me? Doesn't he care about me? I'm sure when we had that contact lens fiasco, someone would have been like, see, God cares about every little thing in your life. And you tell people that when you get that awesome park or the bargain of the chicken or whatever, and you're like, see, God cares about every little thing in your life. And the opposite troubles us. Questions abound when tragedies happen and we say, well, then what does that mean? Doesn't he care about anything in my life? Doesn't he love me? But I believe Paul would say to that, I am surprised at how quickly you are moving away to a strange other gospel because God doesn't prove his love for you by answering your prayers, yes or no, or by doing miracles, yes or no, or by changing anything in our lives at all. Romans 5.8 says God proved his love for you that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, Christ died on the cross, came back alive, and he's proven his love for us. So that has to be the foundation of when we pray. And Mary and Martha had that understanding. So let's just wash that away right now, that whether he answers my prayers in the way I expect or not, that's got nothing to do whether he loves me or not. He loves me. He's proven it. True and true. Truth is true. That doesn't change. That is the gospel no matter what else happens afterwards. That's the foundation. So at this point, you might be thinking, so then where are all the miracles? 
uh, I want to get really practical and I'm going to ask my two volunteers to bring up my whiteboard. Super practical. Here we go. In fact, can I get everyone just to stand up for a brief moment? <coughs> Great. And now sit back down. Or did you want to swap chairs or something? just wanted to shake things up. Thank you, that's perfect. Because I want you to get involved in this next part. Lovely. So um, the farmers have been doing seeding or something over the last, last month or something. Now let me ask you a question and I want you to tell me the answer in a nice big loud voice. Small or big? If the farmers sow a small amount of seed, will they reap a small harvest or a big harvest? Yell it out. Small. If the farmer sows a big amount of seed, will they reap a small harvest or a big harvest? Big, yell it out. What if they sow a huge amount of seed? Are they going to reap a small harvest or a huge harvest? Huge, yell it out. Yeah, not rocket science. But uh, did you know this principle of sowing and reaping also applies to when we pray for people and how often we're seeing God's power move. And it's not dependent on God's side, it's dependent on our side. As um, Bernard was saying as well, Jesus went to that town and he wasn't able to do miracles there, not because his power was less, I think they just didn't ask. They're like, oh, that guy, get him to do me a table, but not really fix my leg. Because Jesus was a carpenter. So, let me show you this. Okay, for those on the podcast, I'm drawing a really bad stick figure. Ooh. Right, keep focus, guys. Now, let's say, let's say this person is very timid to pray. So, they feel a bit worried about it. Maybe they've never been taught. They're timid. They're thinking, oh, what if I you know, pray and nothing happens, or I don't know what to say, or I make a fool of myself. All right, so they don't pray for people, not praying. I'm talking like praying out loud for people. Do you think that they're going to see more of God moving or less of God moving? Yell it out. Less. Again, not rocket science. And uh, do you think that's going to make them more inclined to pray for people or less inclined to pray for people? Less. So they're not going to do more praying. They're going to do less praying for people. Oh, whoops, less God. And is that going to make them feel more bold to pray in faith or less or more timid? More timid. Sorry, I stuffed up that. Is that going to make them more bold or more timid? They're going to feel more timid. Can you see where I'm going with this? It just kind of is going to go round and around and around in this loop. Now let's take another guy. I'll be more careful this time. <laughs> and all he does, and none of this is to do with the power of God. God is sovereign. God's mighty in power. It's just to do with him actually taking a step out and, and praying and asking. Now, this guy has had a great morning with us all, and he's going out there, and he's going to take one tiny step of faith and pray for people. So he takes his little step of faith. He actually prays for someone. Is he going to probably see more of God's moving or less. More. Statistically, he's got to. 
Oops, more. More God. Yep. Now, is that going to make him feel more likely to pray or less likely to pray? More likely to pray. And then is he going to see more of God move or less? Yell it out. You know the answer. More God. And then is he going to feel bolder and more faith? That was, I didn't do a double one. Yeah, I should have practiced this more. More likely to pray. And you can see that this guy's just going to kind of go on. His faith is going to increase. He's going to feel more inclined to pray for people. He's going to see more of God moving. He's going to continue to pray for people. He's going to develop a treasure house of stories and miracles. I remember when I saw this thing happen and that happened and this happened and God moved in that way and he's going to be more inclined to pray. And none of this, again, is to do with the power of God. God is always sovereign in both of these guys' lives. This guy's probably going, how come I don't see God move? But the thing is that we just have to take that first step of faith and actually activate it and just pray for someone. Now, let me ask you this. This guy who's not really seeing God move, who's not really familiar with God intervening Jesus' power in people's lives, let's say he's got a really big miracle that he needs now, and he prays. And God's answer is, not yet. Or yes, but it's not going to look anything like you're hoping. It's going to be better, but it's a not yet. Is he more likely to move closer to God or further away? Yell it out. He's going to move further away because he's going to be laying his foundation on that faulty foundation that we talked about. The one time I needed God, he's let me down Hit boom, he doesn't love me. This guy, if he's praying and seeing God moving in his life and in other people's lives, and one time God's answer is not yet, or it's not going to look how you hope, is he going to move further away from God? Not really, because he's accustomed to the goodness of God. He's accustomed to, my God loves me, he hears my prayers, he must have a good reason, I can trust him in this. We're not praying to God who's a great high priest up in the clouds or something. We're praying to Jesus who is down in the trenches with us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. A man accustomed to sorrows, acquainted with sorrows. Jesus right down in the trenches with us, even as his ways and thoughts are high above ours. And so even when the answer appears to be a no, this guy's maybe going to get closer to God. Because his trust gets him deeper. Can you see that? And we want to be people, not rocket science. It's just like you were like, what a dumb example she's giving us about. Obviously, if you sow more seed, you're going to get more harvest. It's exactly the same. If you want to see God move more, all you've got to do is open your mouth and just start to pray for more people and take that tiny step of faith. So I'm going to get really practical now. I want you for a minute to think about this. Let's say right now I chose you out of everyone and the rest of us are all coming to watch to go across the road to the cemetery and pray for someone to be risen from the dead. I just want you to think for a moment, what kind of prayer would that be? Like what does it look like in your mind? I think a lot of people start off with this. Loud. Possibly really loud. Okay, I've got to rise this guy from the dead. Right. 
come on, body, whatever you're going to say. Jesus, we need your power. Have you seen people get more passionate and get really loud? Yeah. Um, as though we can wake the dead with our noise level or something. But Jesus does not encourage us to get loud. The scripture actually loud in our praise, but we don't have to be loud when we're praying for miracles. In fact, it's mocked in the Bible. If you read about Elijah, he's mocking these priests of Baal, prophets of Baal, and he tells them like, I mean, Baal is just a statue. It's a fake God. It's not really real, and they're praying for a miracle. And Elijah, the man of God's kind of like, why don't you pray louder? Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's on holiday. He's gone traveling. He mocks them hard out to pray louder. If God is God, we don't need to pray in a really loud voice. Jesus said, when you go into your room and you shut the door and you're there by yourself, your father, who hears everything that's done in secret, knows and hears your prayer. Our, our God hears even when we keep our mouth shut completely. We don't need to say really loud prayers. Cross it out. Normal voice is fine. Inside, use an inside voice. Maybe we think we have to have really fancy words. I feel that is a big issue. People will often say, oh, I don't really have the good words to pray. I, I feel like I sound like an idiot or whatever. I don't have fancy words. Well, um, lots of people in the scripture felt like that as well. You're definitely not alone. And, and God always says that that doesn't matter. We don't need the fancy words. Moses is like, Lord, I'm not eloquent to speak your words. And God says, don't worry about it. I'll give you my words. And he said, don't worry when you go before people about what you're going to say. Don't even pre-plan it all the time. Just the Holy Spirit will speak through you. And when you don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit will speak through you. And the Holy Spirit will teach you. So we definitely don't need to have fancy words. Boom. This is getting easier and easier. What about, um, is there a formula? I've got to tell you, there are a lot of books that try to tell you there's a special miracles formula. And uh, even though I've entitled this message, How Exactly to Pray for Miracles, there's no formula I'm giving you today. Um, and it's easy to see in the scriptures, in the New Testament, when we learn about Jesus and he did miracles, he didn't use the same formula or the same way of doing a miracle all the time because he most that must have known that if he did, we would copy it and be like, how come that didn't work? This is the exact formula. As though God is some sort of mass computer and we need to have exactly the right password. You know those passwords. But God doesn't work like that. Sometimes Jesus healed people and he, and he touched them. Sometimes they touched him. They touched his clothes. Sometimes he said, stand up, um, stretch out your hand. Sometimes he healed people when he wasn't even in the same town. He didn't even meet them. Sometimes he spit on the ground and put dirt on their eyes. He must have been thinking, what's another way I can do it so these guys don't copy me? There's no formula. Just freestyle it. As though you're talking to a friend. That's how we pray. So no formula. I've got one more for you. Um, this is a classic one. I think people, when they're praying for miracles, think they have to pray for a very long prayer. Do you agree? Who's heard, wave your hands if you've heard some long as prayers. Yep, I'm probably guilty of that if I've prayed for you at some point. You get on a roll, I know. But if you're praying for a non-Christian, keep it short and sweet, man. Um, they, uh, they don't need a really long prayer. Jesus specifically addresses this. It must have always been a problem with people. He says, don't babble on like the pagans, as though you can 
get more heard by using more words because God knows what you need even before a word is on your mouth, even before we form the words. So you don't need to go on and on. He already knows what you need. He just wants us to ask him because he wants to be in relationship with him. So you just only need to say it once and get to the point and let God have time to do his stuff, not let him hang around and have to listen to you go on and on all day. So they don't have to be long. They don't have to be loud. They don't have to have any fancy words, and there is no formula. The only thing that you need to pray for miracles is a bit of faith. Um, Perhaps, Ruth, could I grab you up here for a minute? So how much faith do you need? Do you know the answer to that one? To side of a mustard seed. Jesus said, they're like, how much faith do we need, Lord? And he's like, the smallest seed I can think of. You don't even need like a tree of faith. It doesn't have to be a blossoming, big, great faith in your life. Just the tiniest seed, just the tiniest start, and then you've got enough. I promise you, if you get the guts, if you've got the faith to be talking with your non-Christian friend and they're going through a really hard time and you go, you know what, I'm a Christian. Can I pray for you? And then you pray for them. That is enough faith. That is more than a mustard seed, isn't it? So you've got enough faith. If you just open a mouth, you're already like fields full of of faith. You've got heaps of faith for it. All we need is a tiny amount of faith because it's not really to do with us. It's to do with the power of God. Not finished, Ruth. (coughs) She's not got much faith in me. So (laughs) when you're going to pray for your friend, this is my non-Christian friend uh, in pretend, metaphorical. Otherwise, you'd be like, she got a brand new person who's not even a Christian to be embarrassed like that. When you pray for someone, just be normal. Just be normal. If you're inside, talk in your normal voice. Don't have to yell at them. Um, Just be a normal distance away. You don't have to be up in their personal space bubble. Oh, we're going to pray? Right. Let me whisper in your ear. (laughs) Just be a usual space apart from them. Just use your usual words. Don't have to use fancy Christianese words. Pretty much any, any sentence starting, thus saith the Lord, is out. <laughs> any, any sentence containing thus is out at all. <laughs> Rare zone. And it's a good idea to not touch people if they don't like it. Some people, you might know them and they don't really like to be touched. Or if you're going to, if you think, oh, we're quite close and I want to put my hand on your shoulder, just ask. Can I put my hand on your shoulder? Sure, thanks. And just lightly, don't have to be ripping her in place or anything. If she starts to wander off, you can let go. <laughs> and if they go, no, not really, that's weird, go, no probs, and just keep your hands to yourself. Just say a prayer. You don't have to close your eyes. You can have open eyes when you're praying, even for a miracle. Maybe if you've got your eyes open, you could just look down. You don't have to be looking right in their face as you pray to Jesus. That's creepy. Dear Jesus, (laughs) we're not in a trance when we pray. And what we're doing is we're just showing them this is easy, this is normal, this is no big deal, and there's no mystery to it. So why are we telling you this? Oh, let's give Ruth a round of applause. She's done. (laughs) I meant to prime you, and then I ran out of time. Why are we saying these things? Because when we pray for people, we, even for a really big, desperate miracle, we want to be pointing them to Jesus and not to ourselves. 
We want them to not be thinking, why is she so close to me? I can smell her breath. Why has she put her hands all on my head? Where is she going to touch next? I hate this prayer thing. We don't want them to feel that. I'm sure you've mostly experienced that already yourselves. We want them to feel like, oh, is that, is that praying? That was really easy. I feel strangely relaxed and comforted. I could probably even pray. And hang on a minute, my pain in my back is gone as well. Is that Jesus? We want them to be unencumbered with us being a spectacle so that their hearts can be open to a supernatural encounter with God. So get yourself out of the way. No spectacles. Can I have that verse, Karen? James. In James chapter 5, verse 13 to 18, it says this. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call on the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you might be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And that's what Pastor Michael was encouraging us before the service began, that a prayer of a righteous person. But don't worry, you don't even need to be the righteous person. I could have crossed that one off as well. It is Jesus' righteousness. It says he takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. So you could change the words, substitute the words to say, the prayer of a person who belongs to Jesus is effective and powerful. And that's you today if you've been um, a follower of Jesus. We're not, it says pray for each other. We're not begging God to do a favor for us. He's the one inviting us. Ask, seek, knock, ask again. Pray for each other. Pray that your joy might be complete. So we don't have to grovel before God and go, I hope that you do this favor for me. He's inviting us to pray for people. And again, I just want to make it really simple and show you some examples of how we might pray for some people. So you might just be chatting with your friend who is um, a non-Christian and maybe they're saying, oh man, I've got the flu, I can't sleep, I'm really miserable. You might go, you know what, I'm a Christian and I believe that God heals us. Would you mind if I pray for you? Thanks. Do you mind if I pop my hand on your shoulder? I'll alcohol gel it later. Um, okay, well let's just pray. Dear Lord Jesus, uh, no, non-Christian wouldn't do that, Gabriel. <laughs> Dear Lord Jesus, my friend Gabriel is really sick. You know she's really miserable. And I ask you right now to get rid of the flu and heal her in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's all there has to be to it. You might talk to someone else and they're telling you, oh man, I'm having, maybe it's a man. Um, I'm having a really bad time with my teenage kids. I'm not saying that this is true, but I am going <laughs> to pretend to pray for Kyle. And you know what? If a man is telling you, this is a generalization, but if a man is telling you, oh, things aren't good at home, it's quite possibly at crisis point for them to say that. And you need to pray for them. Who else is going to help them if the supernatural God is, is not uh, being brought into their lives? So you might just go, that sounds really rough. Do you mind if I pray for you? Great. Okay. Lord Jesus, I know you love Kyle so much. And I ask you right now, you know he's having these troubles with his kids. I ask you right now to 
um, give him your peace and to give him your wisdom so he can be the best dad he can be for those kids that he loves so much. Amen. Cool. And then you might um, see someone else and you're like, oh, hey, how are you going? What have you been doing? And they're like, oh, I've been at the Dole office all week. I'm Centrelink. I have to do paperwork, so I don't have a job. And you'll go, Derek, do you mind if I just grab you? <laughs> Derek has a job. <laughs> it's just a pretend example. Do you mind if I put my hand on your shoulder? Yeah. Sure, thanks. Well, he can say no. I'll just go like that. Oh, Lord Jesus, I know you love Derek so much. And right now, he really needs a job. Can you please intervene in his life like you have so many times before and open the door to a good job that's gonna, that he's going to love and that he's going to get a lot of money for? Amen. And that's all you have to do. It. Short, no fancy words. Speak about Jesus. Speak to Jesus like as a friend. Can, and this is not a formula, but that's kind of an easy way to open the door. If you're talking to someone, they're telling you your troubles, you can say, you know what? I'm a Christian. Can I pray for you? So it's not a formula, but it's a really easy way to open the door. You don't have to start at Genesis 1-1. <laughs> you just go, I'm a Christian. Can I pray for you? How about you say that to your neighbor? Have a quick practice. <laughs> We're not actually praying right now. <laughs> that was just... <laughs> We've got people moving seats and the power of God. But that's an, easy, that's an easy way in, isn't it? I'm asking you this week, starting today, start today, otherwise you'll get more timid, to actually pray for someone every single day. And the first time, you might be feeling a bit timid, but don't worry, you only need to do it once, and then boom, you're in this cycle, which is heaps more fun. It's just going to get easier and easier and more natural and less awkward. It's just going to get better and better. You just have to take that first step. That's why I'm asking you every day. And you don't really need to pray, oh, Lord, give me opportunities. You can make opportunities. All you need to do is go, how are you? And then just wait until they tell you. Because they will tell you. Because people are desperate for someone to hear. They're desperate to unload. They're desperate for help. They're desperate for intervention. Somebody help me with this heavy stuff I'm carrying. And we know that the power of God wants to help them. God wants to help them. Jesus, who went to the cross for them, wants to help them. And if they don't know him, how else will they know? We know, and we can totally pray for them at home in the secret of our room. And we know that God hears us. But it's just as Jesus said, I know that you hear me, Father, but I'm saying it out loud for the others. And so we can take that person and go, oh, I'll pray for you at home tonight, which is beautiful and excellent, and we should do that. But to pray for them out loud is extra meaningful because then they get to hear about prayer. They get someone to pray right for them. They can have an encounter with God right there and then. If they don't hear, how will they know? So what about the situation? Let's say you're at the supermarket at Woolworths or Coles or Drake's, and where I never go, and uh, there's a guy, a little old man, and he's like $5 short at the checkout, and you're the next person in line, and he's getting upset, and you know, what are you going to do then? You're going to lean over and go, I'm a Christian. Can I pray for you? Can I put my hand on your shoulder? No, that would be so weird. <laughs> Definitely don't do that. James chapter 2, if we have that one, Karen. 
James, uh, James chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but you don't give that person any food or clothing, then what good does that do? What good is it to pray that the Lord will help a person be warm when they're cold? If you've got a spare jacket in their car, and you're like, God bless you, Jesus can make you warm. <laughs> it's rubbish. These two things are in this book of James. Pray for each other, and also, if someone's cold, give them a jacket. So this will be an appropriate time for a Christian to lean over to the old man at the checkout operator and go, I'll chip in for that, mate. Pay wave me five bucks. Or if you've got cash, here's five bucks. Unlikely. And then if he go, and that's all you need to do. You don't need to say a big preaching. You don't need to say anything. Just go, here you go, five bucks. And uh, if he does go, whoa, thank you. How come you're being so nice to me? You can go, I'm a Christian. That's what we do. That's all you need to say. Still no Genesis 1-1 or nothing. And if he looks at you like now you've grown two heads, and like, I'm pretty sure that's not what Christians do or what they're known for. You can just say, yes, that is what Christianity is about. We believe that God gives us everything freely, and we just want to spend our lives freely giving to others. Don't make a big, massive deal about it. Don't get louder. Don't pop on your knees. Don't get really close. <laughs> no preaching required. No diploma of ministry required, although I encourage you all to do it. We just want to make things really simple. I think that's what James is doing. And then let us just right now refuse to make it any more complicated. If somebody needs help and it's in my power, help. Help them. And if it's not in my power, pray. That God will intervene in his power. Let's just refuse right now to make it any more complicated than that ever. Like those people were, you know, saying, well, how come he healed a blind man, but he didn't heal Lazarus? Like I wondered for many years, how come he found a contact lens, but he didn't heal my friend Matt? I'm sure we've all got stories of going, this is so confusing. When do we pray? When do we not? When's God going to come through? Just forget all of that. God has proven his love on the cross for us. He loves us. That's the foundation. And then he invites us to pray. And if it's in our power, then help. Don't withhold anything good, the Proverbs say, from someone. If it's in your power to help. And if it's not in my power, which practically most things are not, then pray that God will intervene. And sometimes he'll say yes straight away. And sometimes he'll say not yet. And sometimes the person will go, that was really nice. My back still hurts, but I kind of felt something. And I've had an encounter with God. And the more that we do that, the more that we'll see God intervening. If I just get uh, the pianist back. Because I know that some of you right now have a big miracle that you're needing. You've got a big mountain, a big burden in your life, and you're thinking, this is my thing that I need God to do a miracle on. And I just want to encourage you and encourage you again and again Keep praying for that. Keep hoping in Jesus. But even for you, I want you this week, starting today, not to think, well, I've got my one big miracle that's taken up all my time.
but to start to pray for other people as well. Every day, find someone to pray. Make those opportunities. Find someone to pray for. Because as you look at that big mountain, which doesn't seem to move, you get stuck into this cycle of feeling like God's not there. When in fact, if you start to pray for other people, you'll start to see God move. You'll be accustomed to God is moving and it will encourage you that even though you're not seeing that mountain move just yet or in the way that you hoped or as fast as you hoped, you'll know that God is moving. Even though we can't see it, God is moving. He's doing something. He loves you. He's with you. He hears your prayers. So even if you're stuck at the moment and you're just so overwhelmed with something and you're pressing in for that miracle, even you, I want to keep encouraging you to pray every day for someone, just for this week. Give it a go. Seven days. And of course, some of you, I don't really know as I'm looking out, and you might have been like, I'm not a Christian. I just came for the coffee. And some people are nice here to me. And you definitely get a free coffee if you're new. We, we'd love to give you a coffee. And if you're old, I'll shout you a coffee. No props. But you might be thinking, oh, I'm not going to pray for someone because I don't even really know if Jesus exists. Even you, I want to encourage you to give this a go and find someone and go, could, we, could I pray for you? At church they said Jesus can help with stuff. Because what better way is there of finding out whether Jesus is real as we keep singing and as we keep talking about in this church than actually seeing him move. They're putting that tiny step of faith out there and then seeing God rush in and do something on his side. We just got to do our bit and he's going to do the rest. It's all the power of God. So every single person, I want to, I really want to encourage you this week, every day, start today, find someone and say, screw up your courage and go, one tiny step of faith. Could I pray with you for that? Could I pray about that for you? Can I say a prayer for you? Well, that's really tough. Maybe I could pray for you. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Can I pray for you? Just like that. I'm just going to pray for you now. <laughs> it's going to be short. <laughs> I'm not going to raise my voice. See, at this point, I would say quite a long one, but then I was like, I'm going to say a short one. So you can keep your eyes open if you want, or you can close your eyes and raise your hands and hop down on your knees, whatever you feel. Lord Jesus, for every person here today and myself, I ask that you would help us to take that first step of faith this week and offer to pray for someone when we feel timid, that you'll remind us of this message and you'll just help us to open our mouth and pray for someone and, and, and let us see you moving in great power because of your great love for us. Amen. So just before I leave, I'd like to ask you that question one more time. Just on a scale of 1 to 10, how do you feel about your skill level, about praying for someone? Can you say, hey, I'm a Christian. Can I pray for you? Scale of 1 to 10, tell the person beside you now. What number are you now? Scale of 1 to 10. Thanks. Actually, could I get you to help me? Oh, thanks. Yeah. That was uh, 
Absolutely awesome, Kylie. It's such a um, 